Over time, I found my own voice and developed that inner confidence that I had lacked in my early years. I think this is something that so many women experience and you're probably articulating something that we're experiencing that maybe we haven't articulated for ourselves. You know, learn to change your delivery as you need to and as you can feel comfortable with, but don't change yourself. Don't lose yourself. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. We're back. It's season four. I can't believe it's season four. That number feels so big and huge. It seems like not that long ago that I was dreaming about starting a podcast, so I can't really believe that I'm here, but I'm so excited about it, and I'm so glad to have you tuning in, and I am really pumped to have this conversation be the one that kicks off the new season because I found it so uplifting and encouraging, and I think you will too. And one of the reasons that I loved it so much actually connects back to a reason why I started this show, and it connects back to a strong struggle that I had, which was one of the reasons that I started this show, which was a struggle around feeling confident and having a sense of inner strength and being secure in who I am. And I wanted to start this show to normalize the experience of feeling insecure and to hear other women's experiences of feeling insecure because I've been to so many professional development events for women. I've been to so many panels and things like that where really accomplished women are sharing their stories. And I found that they rarely talk about true, actual struggle. And they often rarely talk about the things that I really want to hear about and that I would find most helpful and most encouraging to hear about. And I'm so excited about today's guest because she has had a wildly successful career, which you are about to hear about. And in this conversation, she really opens up about her journey with confidence, and she talks about her starting point of not feeling genuinely confident and the evolution that she experienced as she got to that place where she felt real, genuine, solid, strong, secure in her confidence, the kind that you don't need to mask by always being perfect and never making mistakes, the real deal confidence where you can handle failure, you can handle struggle, you can get through the hard things, and your confidence isn't going to break or fall like a house of cards when something difficult gets thrown your way or when you hit a curveball or when you mess something up. It's that true confidence, and that's what I really love talking about because I believe that there's a distinction between the two types, and I think the kind that I want to build and the kind that's important to me is the genuine kind, the kind that can weather any challenge, and that's what we talk about here. Uh, She opens up about a lot of things. Among those things are feeling uncomfortable in a work environment, feeling like you don't fit in. She gives really helpful advice on how to feel more confident and prepare for meetings and how to come off as more executive and experienced in meetings, which I found so, so helpful. 
We talk about asking quote-unquote stupid questions and the mindset around that and how to move through that. She opens up about compensation and she actually talks about how her compensation has changed as she's moved into executive roles in her career. And there is so much more. And if I listed it all, this intro would be way too long. So I'm going to get into the conversation so you can meet her, learn about who she is and what she does and hear her wonderful advice. I hope you enjoy it. And if you've been loving the show, if you've been listening for a while, it would mean so, so much to me if you would leave a review and give me some feedback on the show in Apple Podcasts. This show is my baby, and I love getting feedback on my baby, I guess. So if you like my baby, let me know. I would really appreciate that. And with that, let's get into today's conversation. I hope you enjoy it, and let's meet Amelia. Hey, Jessica. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast today. I'm Amelia Anderson. I have spent most of my career in corporate finance. So I had a 30-year career in corporate finance in a number of different industries, most recently in the aviation industry. So I was nine years in aviation, most recently as managing director and assistant treasurer of American Airlines. And in that role, I had the privilege of leading the aircraft finance deal team. So our team was responsible for financing American Airlines' historic refleeting program. So we financed over 500 new airplanes in about four and a half years, including refinancing and other corporate finance transactions, we did over $50 billion of deal flow, which is quite a bit for a relatively small team. It was a really exciting job. I loved it. I actually thought it was the job of a lifetime. And my team and I received many, many accolades. We got Treasury Team of the Year awards numerous times. We received Deal of the Year recognition numerous times. And I was really, really super proud of the work that we did. And I was proud of myself and my own career success. However, there was something that had bothered me for a long, long time. And I got to the point finally where I really couldn't continue to ignore it. And that was that there were very few women moving up alongside me. Each time I moved up a step in the corporate ladder, there were fewer and fewer women peers, fewer and fewer women on my teams, and fewer women on the other side of the table from me when I was meeting with banks or law firms or other outside parties. And in fact, you got to the point where usually there were no women on the other side of the table. And so I began to do the only thing I knew to do, really, and that was just simply to mentor women in my sphere of influence. So I would coach and counsel women about their careers. I would talk to their bosses about their successes and make sure that they were getting the recognition that I felt that they deserved. And I would sponsor them when I had the opportunity, when I was talking to other senior executives. I would make sure I was talking about these women and and their talents and their hard work. And you know what? I really wasn't prepared for the outpouring of gratitude. I know we're going to be talking about gratitude, but I wasn't prepared for the reaction that I got from the women that I was doing this for. And it came naturally to me and I wasn't doing it for recognition, but they were effusive and, and really heartwarming in their gratitude. And it actually opened my eyes and made me realize that, first of all, 
very few people had taken an interest in them up to that point, which really kind of broke my heart. But also it made me question my own path, right? And whether my purpose in life really was to finance airplanes or maybe uh, was my purpose, in fact, to become a voice for other women. And so, as you know, I chose the latter and I retired from my career last year and I'm now full-time running my nonprofit, which I started six years ago, which is called Advancing Women in Aviation Roundtable. And we are a global organization that engages with senior executives, including always at least 50% male executives to talk about diversity and inclusion, talk about the pipeline for women's leadership in particular, and talk about all the myriad reasons. And there are many, many reasons, you know, that we don't have as many women leaders today in aviation, but in other industries too, as we would like to see. And we would hope to see, given that we make up over half the population and half the college graduates. So that's that's kind of a little bit about me. You mentioned that you had that moment where you were wondering if your destiny was to be financing airplanes or maybe it was something different. And I wanted to probe on that a little bit because I think a lot of us struggle with the thought of whether we're in the right thing and whether we're fulfilling our purpose. Do you feel like even though what your end destiny ended up being was this work you're doing now? Do you feel like that time in aviation was a building block that really helped you do that ultimate activity that was your destiny even better? Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely no doubt about it. For one thing, I mean, I've changed as a person, you know, uh, throughout my life. And so I had some things I needed to build for myself as a, as a human being, as a complete human being. I had some realizations I needed to make. I had some skill sets I needed to develop. I had to develop my own confidence, not to mention my network of contacts, which is critical for the work I'm doing today, which I wouldn't have otherwise had. And also, I think for a lot of reasons, maybe rightly or wrongly, we get credibility from our title at our company in many cases. And so my role that I had at American Airlines and in other companies prior to that, really in many people's eyes, when they hear that role that I had, that that sort of gives me instant credibility with them, which I otherwise might not have. And of course, last but certainly not least is money. You know, I, I made a lot of money in my career. I was very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time in many cases. And, you know, I wouldn't be in a position today to have retired from my job and now running a nonprofit full time if I hadn't made a fair amount of money and have now a savings and nest egg because I still have two teenagers to put through college and both my husband and I are retired and started uh, new ventures. So we're not making any money at it at this point, but luckily we're, we're okay in that front. And you mentioned confidence building, and that's something that's really top of mind for a lot of us. Can you share what that confidence building journey looked like for you? Yeah, so I I was lacking in confidence as a child, as a teenager. I knew that I was able to succeed in school and get good grades relatively easily. 
So that was one thing that gave me confidence. But I was very much lacking, I think, in true, deep, internal self-confidence. And it took many years for me to develop that. Initially, I think in my corporate career, I sort of masked that lack of confidence with competence, right? So I knew how to do my job and I was really good at it. And I worked really, really hard. And so I was able to deliver presentations and, you know, show my work without concern. And I, and I was always able to speak in front of groups pretty confidently. But, you know, there was something missing and I knew it. And that was sort of real self-confidence. And over time in corporate life, you develop really what I think of as a thick skin. Right. And early in my career, if I got shot down in a presentation, the very first time I gave a presentation and got totally shot down, I actually cried. Okay. And so, and I've, I I know, you know, we always talk about whether how much it really damages your career if you cry in the workplace. And different people have different opinions. It's certainly not something that I would recommend. But it happened to me. It was, you know, I was 25 years old. It was my first corporate job. But it was the last time as well, because, you know, over time you you realize it's not personal, right? It's the work. It's the job. And the other thing that I learned is, and I've learned this over and over again in every context, when you're working with other professionals, they're not doing their job if they don't find something to question about the work that you've done. Right. Because they're not earning their salary if they just go, oh, yeah, everything you do is perfect. It looks great. They're getting paid to do a job. And so if you have to recognize that that's feedback that's beneficial to the work product and you have to be ready to receive it that way. And I guess that was really the learning for me on that is to receive feedback as something that benefits the work and benefits all of us and isn't something to take personally. So I think over time, I found my own voice and developed that inner confidence that I had lacked in my early years. But it's interesting, Jess, because I I now know that my communication style, which I developed and honed over my corporate career, was what I now call sort of conference room voice, right? And that was the voice that I needed at that time in my life to show people that I was confident and to communicate to them what I wanted to say about the work that we were doing. So I was very practiced at being authoritative and projecting confidence in my voice and being very matter of fact and very little emotion. Although at at times I found that moderate sprinkling of emotion was useful. You know, sometimes if you needed to keep somebody in line that was trying to sort of take things over a little bit of, you know, it, it, it worked to show a little bit of agitation, but to always be in control of that, right? I mean, it's, absolutely necessary to maintain control and composure of yourself in a corporate setting, in my opinion. But that conference room voice, which served me so well in my career, 
then became, I think, a bit of a liability for me in my new life as an advocate, because now I go and I speak all over the world. And my job is to inspire people to think differently about diversity and inclusion and to inspire them to think about what they can do and how they can approach the world differently, right? And you can't get people to buy into that if you're using that conference room voice, you know, because it's an authoritative, it's I'm going to deliver information to you and then you're going to take it and use it for whatever it is you're, you need it for. That's not at all what I need to be an, an effective advocate for women. In fact, now what I need to do is inspire people and share my story or share a story with them that connects with them on a human level, right? That reaches inside them and grabs them and says, wow, this is really important and I have a role to play in this. If you're a senior male executive, you need somebody to grab you deep down inside and say, wow, there's something I can do differently to impact the lives of the women who work at my company or the disabled who work at my company or the lesbian and gay people who work at my company or whatever. It's to look differently at the world. And you can't force somebody to do that with the conference room voice. You have to learn to reach them on a more human, emotional level. And so that's something actually in, in my journey, that's what I'm working on now, actually. That is really fascinating because I think this is something that so many women experience and you're probably articulating something that we're experiencing that maybe we haven't articulated for ourselves, but this friction or challenging relationship between power and authenticity and finding whether there's an intersection. And when I look back at some of the things that I struggled with and where I struggled with confidence, what I didn't realize at the time was there was a huge struggle with authenticity because I felt like the tools that I was receiving gave me limited voices. Like they gave me the conference room voice and it, it wasn't me. And it's taken me time to really find the voice that is me. And I'm still on that journey. And I think a lot of women are. And I hope that as your work continues and as there are more female leaders, we're going to see different voices. And that's going to help us relate to our own because we'll see one that really resonates with us and one that really feels like our version of powerful because I think right now we maybe don't have that many options and we feel a little bit boxed in and that can be uncomfortable and it can be I think really hard to show up powerfully in a way that feels sustainable and feels genuine to who we are. Absolutely. A hundred percent agree with you. And that is the big challenge, right? That women face. I mean, there's the whole competence versus likability chasm that men don't have, that yes. women absolutely have. And those women who have successfully straddled that chasm in many cases are not bringing their authentic selves to the table because they've learned not to. And they've learned that they have to be something else. And I know many women who have said to me, 
yeah, I, I had to learn these behaviors, but that's not the real me. And I, mm-hmm. I feel really crappy about that. So we, we definitely are changing that, I believe. But I also think that there are, and then I'm working actually with some really interesting women at Dublin City University on an initiative now. So I do a lot of work in Ireland just because there's a lot of aviation finance in Ireland. And I'm actually honored to be the chair of an advisory committee, which just kicked off last month, which is an an initiative that's been taken up by Dublin City University's Center of Excellence for Diversity and Inclusion. And we've kicked off an initiative we call the Year of Inclusion in Aviation. And it's spanning the entire aviation industry across all sectors in the nation of Ireland. And there's a very uh, cool woman there at DCU, many cool women, but there's uh, Dr. Melrona Corain, who is an organizational psychologist in the business school. And she's developing, developed already, but also developing for aviation, a women in leadership program. And one of the components of it is it's self-efficacy, which is basically understanding yourself but also understanding the context of your work environment, bringing your intelligence to the work of bringing your authentic self to that job in a way that you can be heard. And so it's it's fascinating work, and I'm looking forward to learning more about it from Dr. Corain. But I absolutely think that we have to be intelligent about the context in which we're working and we're operating. And we have to use that information and what we understand about ourselves, right? And that's a critical component to put those things together and find that way that we can be authentic and still be heard. And and I, frankly, I believe that there are some organizations that are probably not ready for that. And perhaps some women will find, look, I've done it and it's not working. And maybe it means, you know, that organization isn't the right place for you. Yeah. That work is so needed, I think, that exploration of how we do that in those different contexts. And whenever I think about women and executives and success in the corporate world and authenticity, I always go back to Steve Ballmer as this example of radical authenticity where he would get on stage for his Microsoft product launches and be yelling and sweating. And my dream is to have a female Steve Ballmer (laughs) who can be an example for us of women can do this too. We're allowing the full spectrum of expression and obviously Obviously, context matters. We may not be yelling and sweaty in every situation, but I think that we need that radical breadth of different ways to show up so that those of us with different personalities, backgrounds, communication styles feel liberated to share what's unique about us. And I think also the ability to do that unpacks a lot of strength that exists within women that isn't fully out yet because that freedom of expression isn't fully open and isn't fully unlocked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's why diversity matters, right? Is because you bring those different viewpoints to the table. And that's what create different viewpoints and different behaviors. You know, when we're talking about managing other people or being a team member, all of that, that is diversity, right? And that's why it's valuable. But it's interesting, you know, we're not there yet, of course, but for 
authenticity. I mean, a, an authentic woman might be someone that's yelling and, and sweaty, like you said, most likely not. But it's interesting because, again, we have to also think about, okay, let's just use some archetypes. So let's say you or I walk into a conference room and there's a 50-year-old white man in a pinstripe suit. So it's not only incumbent on him to try to let us be our authentic self, but it's incumbent on us to sort of get past some of the stereotypes that we instantly have come up with in our brains about him. Because as we all know, uh, there's such interesting work around how fast your brain actually makes an assessment about someone. And it's really, really fast, right? So the second you lay eyes on that man, you've made some judgments about him. You know, oh, he born him with a silver spoon in his mouth, went to the right college, wife and two and a half kids, lives in, the, you know, whatever it is, you've made some judgments about him. And if you don't believe that you've made some judgments about him, you're wrong because we all do this. It's We wouldn't be able to function in this world if our brains weren't making those shortcuts for us. And so while we hope and expect that he is going to be open to us to be our authentic selves, we in turn have to be open to him and recognize that we've already made judgments about him. We already have biases about him. And we need to think about how can we get in front of that and how can we begin to get to know sort of who is he really? Because nobody is a stereotype. Absolutely nobody. And nobody has a perfect life. You know, everyone has challenges and problems and disappointments and and heartbreaks. And that man that we just made up, he has those as well. Oh, absolutely. I think reminding ourselves to see the humanity in people can be really helpful. And that even helped me. I know a big struggle that I had was feeling uncomfortable around a white man who was much older than me, whether it was like a one-on-one or being in a meeting full of them, just feeling like, well, I don't have anything in common with you. And we're so different and I feel so uncomfortable. And one of the things that helped me move past some of those thoughts and the feelings that those thoughts were creating was this is a person. And just like me, he's probably got some hobbies outside of work that he loves. And he probably cracks a funny joke now and then. And he has these unique things about him. And he's a human just like I am. And so why don't I stop focusing on all the ways that this is uncomfortable and actually try to humanize this person? And that was helpful for me in my presence and my confidence because I wasn't so focused on oh, they're so different, they're so senior, they're so much older, I'm young, I'm female, and it did help me get out of that. But those experiences can be really real and really challenging. I know it's one that a lot of listeners struggle with, which is feeling uncomfortable and not being able to get to that place where they just feel a sense of ease in these situations. Yeah, and what you just described, I mean, that's that's a huge leap in emotional intelligence to be able to look beyond yourself and to the other people in the room and sort of set yourself outside of your concerns about, you know, I'm I'm the only woman, I'm the youngest person, I'm the inexperienced one, everybody else knows more than I do. That's a huge leap in emotional intelligence and that's what it takes to become a leader, right? And that's that's of one of the maybe the most important trait beyond just you know, technical competence in whatever the field is. So yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I love to hear that. 
Yeah. And I think we also forget that everyone's having their own human experience. And sometimes we feel like I'm the only one who's nervous. I'm the only one who's struggling. I'm the only one who this is difficult for. But there's just so much we don't know. And I think really focusing outside of ourselves can help with our own struggles. Yeah. And, you know, let me pivot off of that as well. You know, you're since we're talking about sort of in this meeting, right? So now you're in a meeting and you know that there will be people in the meeting that you feel no more than you, right? There are a, a lot of women talk to me about that scenario. And, you know, there are some things that you can do in preparation for any meeting that should help with some of that. So first and foremost, right, I try to never go to a meeting unless I know what the agenda is. And and people are actually not that great at running meetings, which I don't know if it should surprise us or not. I mean, people come up through their careers because they have technical skills and oftentimes managing and organizing are not their strong suits. And so you might go to a meeting and you could sit there and go, well, I, I don't even know what the purpose of this meeting is. And, and that's a waste of everybody's time. And so one of the things I learned really early on was if I didn't understand the purpose of the meeting, I would just ask like, okay, so what is the purpose? What are we trying to come out of here with? And then people would say to me later, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Cause I was thinking the same thing, you know, and, and I'm, I, I'm like, why would anybody sit there and not know, right? I don't know why anyone would sit there and not understand why, why are we gathered here? But so if you have, if you can get a hold of an agenda before a meeting, that's really, really important so that you can see sort of what is, what's the beginning, middle and end? What are the uh, desired outcomes? Who are the participants? And what is the larger context of the meeting, right? What's the project or, you know, whatever the the work stream that it's about. So that's one thing. And then I think you have to give yourself some time to give some critical thought to what the agenda tells you. And unfortunately, in corporate life, oftentimes we just go from one meeting to the next, to the next, to the next. And then you go home at night and you come back and it's another full day of meetings. And I, I just think that that's very, very counterproductive, right? Because any great leader will tell you that they put time on their calendar, they block time on their calendar for critical strategic thinking. If you don't give yourself time to do that, you're not going to really be able to add value. I mean, you might be able to, if you're really quick on your feet, right, be able to sort of come up with some tidbits in these meetings. But if you really want to get into the depth of whatever the topic is and be able to contribute in a real meaningful way, you have to have given yourself some time for critical thought. So giving yourself time for critical thought and then also doing a little bit of research, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that I always found super valuable. So my job was financing airplanes. And a big piece of that work is kind of what we called market intel. So knowing what other people are doing, knowing what other airlines are doing, knowing what other banks are doing. And of course, you can read some of that in the trade press, but you get the best intel from other people that you know. And people are usually very willing to share information so long as it doesn't compromise confidentiality of a specific client. I mean, they'll speak in general terms. They're always more willing to share in a one-on-one -on -one setting 
So if you're sitting in a meeting full of bankers and you ask them about somebody else's transaction, they're not going to tell you anything. But if you call them and you sort of call them, you know, you've got a couple of key people, whether they're banks or whatever your business is, right? You've got a few key people that you've developed a personal relationship with and you call them from time to time, you know? can't be like once in a blue moon because then they're a little bit suspicious, right? But you call them and you develop and nurture that relationship. And let's say right before, you know, the day before you go into a big meeting, you make a few phone calls and you ask a few people. So, hey, what's happening? You know, what's so-and-so doing? Or what's happening in this transaction or that transaction? And they can give you a lot of information without giving up confidential information, which you're obviously don't want to ask for, or don't expect to get, because that would be a red flag if someone was giving you that. But then when you show up to your meeting, you've got fresh market intel that nobody else has. And now you're a superstar because you're bringing information that's really, really helpful and useful to the rest of the team. And that is going to be something that your boss or the, whoever the senior people in the room are, are going to remember. Wow, she's resourceful. You know, she went out and dug up some information that's really valuable and helpful to this project. The other reason I think that's important to do this and to do this preparation is because now when you're in the meeting, and I know a lot of women, they have an idea come to their mind and then they sit there and question, should I say it? Should I not say it? Should I bring it up now? And then while they're having this whole internal debate with themselves, the whole meeting has moved on. It's done. Yeah. The opportunity is gone. And now you're like, well, it would be weird to bring it up because they're not even talking about that anymore. So if you have something and you've thought about how it fits in strategically with this topic and you have some opinions about how you could express it in such a way that maybe is really unique to your project or your company, and you've already got that kind of teed up in your mind, then you know, right? And especially if you've seen the agenda, you know when they're going to get to it, right? And you can be ready. And then the last point I'll make on that is whoever's running the meeting, you know, there's no reason you can't reach out to them in advance and say, look, I've got some info that I think the group is going to really benefit from, and I'd like to share it. I see you have this agenda item number three. I think it fits in there. So I just want to let you know, I'd love to chime in there. So if you want to come to me when you get to that point, I'll be ready to, you know, share. And that's great because people who are running meetings love that stuff, right? It's like, oh, great. I've got somebody that I know I can go to and I'm not going to go, okay, does anybody have any comments? And there's like deafening silence in the room. Oh, for sure. And I want to clarify something, which is that this advice that you're giving, I don't want anyone listening to think, well, I'm too junior in the meeting and that this advice is for someone who is more senior than me. This advice isn't for me. I'm not there to be adding all of this stuff because I think that that engagement, if you're in the meeting and you're working on that team, you're there for a reason, your thinking is part of the reason that you're in your job. And that's the very thing that's going to distinguish you as a leader is, are you the person who says, this is not for me, no one wants to hear what I am going to say, or are you the person who's going to get curious and start exploring this topic? 
and come in with something. And I think it's a big mindset shift to really value your thinking and not just the work product that you create and not just all of the outputs that you create, but to really value what your brain does and how your brain can contribute in these conversations. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. And and that's exactly the way that uh, high potential men behave in meetings, you know, junior men who are superstars. That's exactly how they behave. And that's how junior women who are superstars behave. Of course, with women, we have this additional filter that we have to think about, which is our voice, right? And we have to make sure that when we provide this input to the meeting, we're saying it in a way that we're confident delivering and that, you know, we get the point out in a concise way, because that's one thing I I also would say is that it's really important to be as concise as possible and think about how you're going to say it and then how you're going to exit that comment. Because sometimes I think all of us, we sort of get down a rabbit hole and then we can't think of how to get out eloquently, right? So be as concise as possible, but make sure that, you know, you're, you're using those few moments that you have powerfully and for the maximum impact. That's so helpful. And one other piece that I wanted to get your thoughts on and highlight for anyone listening is there's always the preparation and learning and gathering information. And even with those things done, there are moments, I think, in everyone's career where you have to ask questions, where something's not clear. And I think, I know I experienced, and I think some of the women listening experience fear around not understanding and having a question and really revealing that side of themselves. And I think it's really important to drop some of that and get the information that you need to be part of the conversation. And if you've done that preparation, you know that you have the background and no one is ever going to understand everything because we all see the world differently. We communicate differently. Things are constantly getting lost across the cracks. And it's our responsibility to save those things by asking our questions and by clarifying. And I like to message to women that it's a leadership trait to do that, to ask those questions and clarify for yourself because you're worried about getting a result and you need that information as opposed to being worried about you should have understood and you should already know the answer to the question. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in fact, I know that I made a a pest out of myself many times in, in meetings because I refuse to sit in a meeting and not understand something that's important for me to understand. Now, it depends on what it is. I mean, sometimes it's okay. Like that doesn't affect me and my role and what I'm going to contribute. So I'm not going to slow everybody down by asking questions. But if it's something like you described that absolutely is important for me to be clear about, then a hundred percent, I think, you know, you, you've got to do it right then because probably everybody else in the room is also kind of going, well, what did he mean by that? And what exactly do we want to do here? So, and, and, If it's a really big meeting and there are a lot of very senior people there and you don't want to ask a clarifying question that's really, really a a specific detail, you could always do that later, but you do need to do it. But if it's something that, you know, the context makes sense and it's a clarifying question that is probably going to benefit everybody else in the room as well, absolutely you should ask it. But again, you got to be concise 
and authoritative when you ask it. And this goes to voice, right? What a lot of times women make statements and they sound like questions, right? Which mm-hmm. is something that we we don't want. But uh, it has to be a very clear, concise, to the point question. And then when you get the answer, great. Thanks for clarifying. Done. Yes, absolutely. I think it can feel scary, but the more you do it and the more you practice and the more you practice doing it concisely, the easier it gets. And it is a really important piece to do. And I want to pivot to talking in a little bit about your career advancement and what you've learned that might be helpful to anyone listening. You obviously made it very far in your career and you accomplished a lot. And there are a lot of women out there who would love to follow in your footsteps and build a career similar to yours. What is it about you that you think really catalyzed your advancement? Well, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm a very focused person. I get very focused on one thing and I, I do really, really well when I'm working on, for example, a project. I do less well when I'm working on a whole bunch of different projects. So I love to just dive deep into one thing. I'm very focused and I get very determined and kind of like a dog with a bone, right? It it will cause me to forget everything else. So I have to set reminders and alarms everywhere if I have to go pick up my kids or whatever. But I think that's one thing that is a hallmark, I suppose, of me and my personality that I think has served me well. I also am a fearless individual. I, I think there's really nothing barring geopolitical issues, right? So let's take that off the table or the climate. There's nothing that I fear in my personal life or in my work, except as a mother, of course, I fear always, you know, that my children would not be healthy. And, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully they're, they are healthy and my husband is healthy. But, you know, other than those things, I'm just not afraid of anything. And, and, you know, what I've learned is there's nothing to be afraid of, right? You kind of go, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you fall as you're trying to go up on the stage. Thank God that's never happened to me. Walk carefully, right? Uh, Or, you know, the worst that can happen is your microphone doesn't work or, you know, you say something embarrassing. I mean, those things don't matter in the scheme of things. And so I'm just, pretty fearless. And and I think that that's served me really, really well. Now, I have to say, though, just that those same things, I guess, that brought me to where I was in my career needed to change in order for me to take the next step had I stayed in corporate America. And what I mean by that is I knew that in order to make it to the C-suite in the, the corporation's that I was in, or at least my last position, I needed to do more network building across the organization. I needed to do less advocating for women and less advocating for other multicultural and diverse groups. And I wasn't willing to do that. I needed to be less of an agitator, to be honest. Wow. Well, you know what? That's okay. Because I figured out that what I wanted to be and what was important to me was to drive change in the world. And, you know, you don't join a Fortune 500 company because you want to change the world. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, big organizations 
need certain things and they need a cohesion, right? I, I, and I don't mean to say in any way that, you know, my former employers were uh, not supportive of diversity and inclusion. They are. But when you have 120,000 employees, you know, you have to think about all these considerations whenever you implement any kind of programs or changes. A large organization, 120,000 people, there are many, many constituents, many, many interest groups, many stakeholders who have to be considered. So it's like turning a big aircraft carrier, right? It doesn't turn on a dime. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But I was ready to, to do something different. And so that actually worked out very, very well for me. Now, many times women will say to me, in order to move up in my organization, I have to change some things about myself. And what I say is, you know, learn to change your delivery as you need to and as you can feel comfortable with, but don't change yourself. Don't lose yourself. Stay your authentic self, but find ways, and this goes back to context, right? Find ways that your authentic self can fit with the context of your organization. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the relationship between power and authenticity and finding that balance. And I really do believe that a happy place exists where they can intersect. I think we're in process of uncovering it. But I do see a lot of change happening. And I'm really optimistic about what the next several years can look like. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that people should always keep in mind, and and this was in play in my entire career, when you feel that you're not a fit for an organization, don't try to change the organization. I mean, if it's small, maybe you, you know, you can try to make some changes, of course, and you can impact the people around you. But sometimes there's just not a fit there. Sometimes, you know, you, you, learn what you can, you take what you can, and you move on. I had actually, in early in my career, some experiences where I probably said more than I should have said, it, given the context. I was too outspoken as a, as a, I was, I've always been an outspoken person. But I think early in my career, there was certainly a time where I was too outspoken and it, it kind of there was at that point probably some limit as to how far I could go in that organization. Fortunately, I could see that that had occurred. And fortunately, another opportunity came along and I just moved on. And the beauty of of that is when you start a new position with a new company, you have a blank slate. And it's really and truly a golden opportunity. It's It's the only time that you have the opportunity to create the image that you want to create on day one, right? You take what you learned, you know, you did some things well, you did some things wrong, you take all that you learned and you go to that new position or that new company with the intent of how you want to present yourself and you have a blank slate and it's 100% within your control to be the person that you want to be perceived as. Yeah, I think that it's it's also nice to know that everyone makes mistakes and everyone has missteps in their career and you bounce back and you recover and you learn because in the instances where they happen, I'm sure they can feel a lot bigger 
than they're going to be when you reflect back on them. Well, yeah. And I mean, you don't have to go and tell the next person, right? You don't have to say, yeah, well, I left that job because I made some mistakes. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's no reason to do that. And in fact, on the contrary, you know, with, you can be perfectly truthful and say, here are all the things I accomplished at that role. And now I'm ready for a new challenge. And I'm really excited about this new chapter in my life. The other really cool thing about changing companies is, you know, if you work in a corporation, there is a grid. There's always a grid, uh, a matrix, right, of how much of a raise you can get mm. e each year or for a promotion, right? There's a, there's a band. And once you walk in that door, you're constrained in terms of what you can make in that company. When you go to another company, that's your opportunity to take that step change, right? And to there's going to be a grid there. There'll be a matrix there. But you want to come in at a higher level. You want to come in at a higher pay level, hopefully at a higher title. But, you know, always, always when you're moving from one company to another, you want to come in as high as you possibly can. And you want to negotiate with that company, never take the first offer. And this is, we could have a whole podcast on that topic. Oh my gosh. Well, you led me to another question that I wanted to ask you, which is we can do a high level overview of how compensation changes as you reach executive levels. I'm very curious to hear your experiences. Like I said, when you make those jump from one company to the next, that's when you're able to really make those step changes. So you, you break through the matrix, right? You break out of that little path that you were previously constrained into. When, you know, all the levels of management, right, from, in my case, right, assistant manager is what my first title was, up until, and depends on what, every company is a little bit different, but when I became a director of a company, that was the first role that I had that included an, a component of equity compensation. You'll start with salary, of course, and in some companies, there will be a bonus, for even entry level, there's a bonus and it may be based on how well the company does or other things may have, it may be discretionary depending upon your performance. So that's important. Bonus can be a huge piece. And it, there may also be sort of long-term incentive, which is, could be cash bonus and could be equity. It, depending upon the industry, right? The equity can really become the majority of your compensation. There are very few jobs outside of investment banking and probably partner in a big law firm where you can make seven figures in a year outside of through equity. And so I was very fortunate early in my career to become a director of a public company. I was an officer of a public company. I was in the metals and mining industry for 13 years. And when I joined, commodities were kind of out of favor. And so the equity grants that I got were very cheaply priced. And of course, as in the this commodity cycle, like many industries is cyclical. And so when commodities prices were very, very high, our company was very attractive and there was all kinds of uh, mergers and acquisitions going on in our industry. And so our company was acquired. And so my equity was worth, you know, well into, you know, the seven figures. And so that's that you're not going to get that kind of payout 
unless you are in equity or you have some kind of, you know, like you're in investment banking or if you're a law partner. So I would say if you have the opportunity to get equity, take as much as you can and and share. So I mean like stock options or those are a little out of favor now. So it's like stock appreciation rights or phantom shares or something like that. And also, I mean, be smart about the industry, right? If it's an industry which is ripe for consolidation, mergers and acquisitions, that's a really nice way to get payout. Because when there's mergers and acquisitions, that triggers your vesting usually. So yeah, I mean, my long since, you know, my my base salary had become a very small component of my overall compensation. Thank you for sharing. And with that, I'm going to go into the next section. Before we get there, I wanted to ask if there's anything you want to share with anyone listening about the work that you do, about how they can support it or learn more about it. Oh, thank you. So my nonprofit is called Advancing Women in Aviation Roundtable. Our website is www.awarglobal. So that's A-W-A-R global.com. And our mission is to engage with senior leaders to advance the careers of women in the aviation industry across the globe. And so we hold events, luncheons, usually together with aviation finance conferences. They're invitation only, but we try to have very, very senior leaders. And we always have at least 50% male participation because I believe in my heart and, and a big part of our mission is that we cannot drive change for women if we don't engage with the men in our industry. And then I'm also super excited about the Year of Inclusion Advisory Committee that I'm chairing in Ireland together with Dublin City University. And it's an awesome organization, Dublin City University's Center of Excellence for Diversity and Inclusion is uh, the home for that initiative. And so, yeah, you can find me there. And anybody that wants to reach out to me, I'm also on LinkedIn. Wonderful. And I'm going to ask you a few questions on general topics that listeners will be interested in hearing about. The first one is on the topic of gratitude. And I would love to hear one thing that you are or were very grateful for in your career or in a position that you held. Yeah. So, and I kind of mentioned this earlier. I mean, I am, I'm really so grateful for the opportunity to be a voice for women. And as I said, when I began this part of my journey, I was overwhelmed by the gratitude that I received from women for whom I, I guess they, they felt that I was a voice for them and, and they viewed me as a mentor and a role model. And that gratitude inspired me more than anything could have. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about recognition. You know, when I received emails from women who said that I, I changed the way they look at their future or they felt that because of something that I had said or taken an interest in them, that they now had more confidence in their abilities and their skills and their own careers. That to me is worth much more than any amount of money ever could be. Oh, I love that so much. And you've talked a little bit about fear. And I know you're someone who is quite fearless, um, but can you share either something that you maybe did fear and that you no longer fear or just reflections on fear that you'd want to share? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, this is probably goes back to why I was not a terribly self-confident person in my early years. So my parents didn't have college degrees. There were five children in our family. There were times when money was tight. There were times when my dad was in between jobs. And my parents did what they could to support the family. There was a time when my parents were running a coin-operated laundromat near our home. And my mom and I used to walk there together. And we would open it in the morning and we would close it in the afternoon. And I was the fourth of five kids. And so anytime I had my mom to myself was like awesome because my mom, bless her heart, she's just an amazing, warm, wonderful human being. And so we'd hold hands and walk up the hill to this laundromat. And I loved it. I mean, it, it was fun. I was like probably eight years old and all these families would come and they would bring their kids. And so, you know, it was like a playground in a way. But anyway, so one day my mother and I walked up to the laundromat and when she put the key in the lock, the lock didn't turn. And, you know, nine years old, eight, nine years old, I I didn't understand what was happening, but I later kind of figured out that the landlord had changed the locks because my parents had gotten behind on the rent. And I can't even imagine what my mother must have felt you know, knowing that like literally the money crank just stopped turning, right? And she's got five kids to feed and a mortgage and all of that. And my mother never lost her composure. She never let on to me that there was a problem. But when I think back on that and, and you know, in, early in my adulthood, when I thought about that, I said to myself, I'm never going to allow myself to be in a position where someone can change the locks on me. And to me, women's advancement is all about economic equality, right? And if you don't have economic power in this world, you have zero power. And so that's why I think it's so important that, you know, we support women to be able to not only realize take care of their families and themselves, but realize their aspirations. So I think initially in my career, I was definitely driven by fear of not having control over my life. And I equated that to, and still do, in, in, in people, for people, not for myself anymore. But I equated that to economic independence. And that was the one fear that I think drove me to build my career. And you know, as I mentioned, you know, and just to sort of maybe tie things together, I guess, once I sort of achieved economic independence, financial independence, then I think I was able to sort of really pursue those sort of labors of love. Hmm. And, and that's what I'm doing today. And last question in the spirit of helping women get to that point. Can you share one specific thing that women can do over a one-year horizon, a one-month horizon, and a one-week horizon to help advance their careers? And we can do them one by one. So let's start with a one-year horizon. So I guess think about the industry that you're in and think about your company and your prospects in that company. You know, the context is really key. I mean, be realistic with yourself. Is this a company that because of the hierarchy or because of maybe mistakes that I've made, which is 
you know, let's all be honest, right? I mean, I, as I said, I made mistakes myself in my first company that I worked at. Is it a place that I can achieve my dreams? And if not, begin to strategize and think about where you need to go next and how you need to get there. And over a one month horizon. So, I mean, look at people inside your organization and outside and think about, all right, who are the network, who are the connections that I can benefit from in this industry or in another, if I, you know, are are thinking about moving into a different area and start to develop those connections with people. And it's never a good idea to walk up to someone that you just don't know at all and say, hey, will you mentor me? Because that's just, nobody likes that. It doesn't work for anyone. But you can begin to show interest in what other people are doing in their lives, whether you've read about them in the newspaper, they live in your community, or they're in your company, and you just know from internal communications what they're doing. And if you want to get to know them, you know, strike up a conversation about something that's important to them and better yet, you know, suggest something that you could do that could be helpful to them. And a one week horizon. Look at your calendar, look at the meetings on your calendar and plan for them and think about what is it about, who all's going, what's the purpose, what are the desired outcomes of the meeting and what intelligence can I go out and gather that I can bring to that meeting that will be valuable. That was golden advice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And now it's time for the closing questions, which are my favorite part of the interview. The first is about the title of the show, which is The Art of Speaking Up. And I love to ask every guest what the art of speaking up means to them. Well, that's a great question. And this is something I talk to women about all the time. You know, having something that people want to hear, right? So feeling passionate about what you want to speak up about. If you're in a role that you're not passionate about, go find a different role. Because if you're not passionate about it, it's going to come across that way. And and you, you'll have to struggle to think of something interesting to say. So speak up about those things that you think are interesting, that you find fascinating, that you're in love with. And if you're in love with the topic, then it doesn't really take a whole lot of effort really to to do anything beyond that. And for the final question, this question was inspired by the same thing that inspired the show, which is a time in my career where I was struggling and I didn't see a way out and I didn't know how to get out of it. Luckily, I started to, but took some time. And I like to use this space to have the guest share anything that they would want someone out there to know if that person is struggling or that person's looking to find their voice or feel more empowered or just feel a little bit better about themselves and their careers? Well, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I mean, I would love to hear from anyone that would like to connect with me. You know, there's a whole sisterhood out there today. And and unfortunately, 10, 20, 30 years ago when I started my career, I'm not so sure it was there. You know, there a lot of women got became successful in business because they behaved like men and that's what they had to do. And it wasn't politically correct for them to advocate for other women. And I get that. And I don't I hold nothing against anyone as far as that goes. But thankfully, I believe now there's such a sisterhood. There's so many women out there who want to help you. Reach out to me. 
reach out to someone else that you know or you're connected with and share how you feel. And I can tell you that they will want to help. They will absolutely want to help. And also, if somebody has helped you in the past, share that gratitude with them because it changed my life for women to tell me how impactful my words were on them. So pay that forward to someone who's supported you as well. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Amelia and a big thanks to Amelia for coming on the show and sharing her story and her wisdom. This was a massively expansive conversation for me and I hope it was for you too and how generous of her to offer to you to reach out to her and get in touch if you want to say hello um, or get her advice on something. That is huge and I would really encourage you if it's something that kind of sparked an interest for you. I would encourage you to do it even if you're thinking, oh, she doesn't want to hear from me or, you know, maybe I shouldn't reach out to her. Maybe this is a nice opportunity to push yourself to do a scary thing from someone who is now dedicating their career to supporting women and helping women advance professionally. Ah, how wonderful. I will link her the website for her nonprofit in the show notes. And I want to thank you again for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, it would mean so much to me if you could leave a review for the show in Apple Podcasts. I think the easiest way is if you just scroll to the bottom of the podcast page in Apple Podcasts and then you can write a review down there. And of course, if you want to join the Facebook group, it's called The Art of Speaking Up. I will also link it in the show notes. And it's just a place where you can meet other listeners and we will start building a sense of community and support. And it is so much fun to get a sense of you all and what you do and what's going well and what you're struggling with. So I hope to see you in there and to connect with you there. Thank you again for tuning in. It is always an honor and a joy and a gift and a privilege to be sharing this with you. So a big thank you to you. And as always, have a wonderfully magical day. Catch you in the next one. Bye.